Um, glad to be with you guys. So glad to be with you guys. And I want to share a little bit about River of Hope. Just, just a couple bullets. Um, I am a church planter. Esther and I, um, even before we had kids, um, we really enjoy starting ministries. I don't think we would have described ourselves as church planters or entrepreneurs, vocational entrepreneurs. But um, God has used us to start um, seven ministries over the last 20 years. God just seems to bring to mind problems and challenges that exist and then gives us a vision for what the good news uh, can look like. And it usually involves bringing people together in the name of Jesus and solving it in a different way, thinking outside the box and bringing people together in mission. And that's just what we've done. Um, river of Hope comes from Psalm 46. Uh, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Um, we believe that we're called to be a blessing to the city of Evansville and the surrounding cities and peoples. And so that's the image of River of Hope. It's, uh, it's a community that's not primarily based, you know, in one building, which, which really is outside of the box. So many Evansvillians, um, they say, so where are you located? Where's your building? Where's your office? Where's your community? And I say to them, we're a non-geocentric uh, community. What do you mean by that? Where are you located? All over the city? In other words, you're not a church. That's kind of the mentality. And so that usually opens up a conversation for what is the church. It's not a location. It's not a building. It's not an address, but it's a people. It's a community. And so that's the kind of community that God has called us to build. Um, we don't yet have a, um, a Sunday morning corporate worship gathering. We have gathered on Saturdays to do um, spiritual discussions and conversations and outreaches. And um, I think if you talk with uh, Seth and Emma, they can attest that they've all been fun. They've included food and uh, capture the flag and tag and things like that and um, inviting family and friends of, of people. So anyway, there's a little bit about myself. I was a secondary English uh, major for my undergrad. Um, and then a few years later, I uh, went to Gordon-Conwell for seminary, um, in part because God gave me a vision in Bloomington, Indiana, for honest skeptics, um, for people that are uh, not churched, people that current systems are not working for. And I thought um, Boston is a great place uh, to jump in and, and learn how to build bridges and have conversations. And so I was able to do my Master of Divinity there and then my Doctorate of Ministry. So I'm way over-educated. I'm over-educated. It has taken me several years to get back, really, to get back to, hold on, God's saying, hold on, what's the simple gospel, Kevin? It's not complicated. The simple gospel and how did Jesus do ministry? And so that has been my real joy these last two years. Um, detoxing from religion, detox, getting from uh, being a part of the, the church culture 
and getting back to the faith that I did here on campus in Bloomington, where it was just about relationships and just simply helping people find Jesus and helping people follow Jesus. So my kids can attest, um, I am long-winded, but I will honor our time together. So I just... I just want to say that that was just a, just a few uh, bullets about who I am and why I'm here today. Um, so I'm really privileged to be with you guys. So um, can I pray for us? Please pray with me. God, thank you for bringing us together. We believe that you are with us, in us, around us. And we have all, including me, come today to hear from you, to experience you, God. Every one of us is somewhere in our journey where we are asking you, God, where are you in this? What does it look like to go forward from where we are? Would you help us this morning, God, to experience the good news, to really hear from you. We are desperate for you. Please help us, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to set my watch just so... just so I can either feel good or feel bad about when I stop. Really. (laughs) yeah he may (laughs) this morning as I was talking with Matt um, I asked him um, I think an important question as a preacher which is where are your people where are you and where do you perceive that God is taking you and do you have any ideas about what I should share about and and Matt said uh, so graciously you know I I trust you whatever God puts on your heart whatever you're passionate about right now and just in the context of talking about church planting you know Matt said it sounds like evangelism and outreach is really close to your heart you know feel free to share about that and as I prayed about it God God did put um, a passage on my heart, and it's closely connected with my experience and my journey, and so uh, I'm excited to share that with you today. I will say, though, that this passage we're going to look at, it's from, uh, it's from the Gospels. Um, I, I simply just, I love for myself, just time and time again, going back to Jesus. How did Jesus do it? Who is Jesus? Who is he? And today we're going to look at uh, what I would call one of the weirdest miracles. One of the weirdest miracles. So if if you have a Bible, it's going to be on the PowerPoint as well. Ah, it's on the handout. That's awesome. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. One door that God recently has opened for me is um, I have several high school friends who are on the Evansville Fire Department. And about six months ago, God just put them on my heart. Who's 
processing pain with these firefighters? Do they have somebody that's meeting with them? And um, at first I thought I should just start stopping in fire stations. And then I thought I'm going to get tackled if I do that. I'm, <laughs> I'm for sure going to be uh, really weird. It's going gonna, it's gonna to seem really weird. So I started having a conversation with the chief and others. And anyway, God opened a door for me to uh, be their head chaplain um, which is a really a great tent-making job while church planting because now I have these relationships and spiritual conversations with 280 firefighters and, um, and 14 fire stations that I visit, and these guys talk with me. But I'm fascinated by first responders. I am I'm genuinely fascinated by anybody that in the midst of a disaster actually runs towards the disaster. I'm reminded of September 11th. We're coming up on the 20th anniversary, and Esther and I were in Boston on that morning, and Esther was actually in Manhattan that morning. And uh, she was on a train with 30 uh, students, and uh, she was taking them on a field trip from Boston to Philadelphia, and when the first tower collapsed, they said, get off the train, and they happened to be in Manhattan. <laughs> and I remember seeing people running from the building collapse. And I remember this crazy thing, seeing these firefighters and police officers actually running towards it, going up the stairs while people are running out. Can you imagine I just have to say, just crazy. That's, that's crazy humanity to me. That's crazy humanity. But what we're going to see today is that Jesus actually does the very same thing in the New Testament. And we're going to ask this morning, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? So if you could look in your Bibles, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31, I think this has huge implications for us. I'll read it and then we'll talk about it, uh, talk about it together. So Mark 7, starting in verse 31, I'm reading from the NIV. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee, and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue, he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. 
This is God's word. Well, first and foremost, right away, you jump right into the uncomfortable for the Jewish reader. Because right away, it says that Jesus was going to a place where irreligious pagans lived. And Jesus is actually pursuing them. He's going into the mess. He's going into the disaster right away. It says in verse 31, Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Just want to stop here for a second. I don't want to pass by this. I want us to slow down and just recognize that Tyre and Sidon were known as these places where pagans lived. Those are those people, the irreligious people, the messy people, the pagans. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Luke chapter 4, where Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, and he proclaims his mission to proclaim the good news to set prisoners free, to proclaim the year of Jubilee. And then he closes the scroll and sits down, and Jesus drops the mic in Luke 4. He says, guess what? I'm paraphrasing. He says, I am the Messiah. This has been fulfilled in your hearing. And I personally think that a Jewish hearer should be offended if they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. At that point, they should say, blasphemy. Does everybody realize what he's saying? This is blasphemy. He just sat down and said he is the Messiah. But the text doesn't say that. They actually, they actually said, wow, good words. <laughs> they spoke well of him. They appreciated his, his message and his declaration to be the Messiah. But do you know what they did when he said to them a little later in the chapter? He said, you know what? A prophet is not welcome in his hometown. And if this would have been proclaimed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have accepted it. <laughs> Does anybody know what they did then? They said, let's throw him off a cliff. <laughs> He just said this good news is for the people of Tyre and Sidon. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. That's how much they hated the people from Tyre and Sidon. And the Decapolis is also a pagan place. It's ten cities is what it means. And it says right there, Jesus was there doing ministry in Tyre and Sidon. And then he goes into the region of the Decapolis. Jesus entered into the mess. He entered into the place where broken people were, messed up people were. Wherever the relational disasters were, Jesus said, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. I'm not going to the religious capital First, at least, I'm going to the place where people are messed up and they know they're messed up. I kid you not, yesterday at the baseball tournament um, in Oakland City, Indiana, my nine-year-old's in this tournament, it, there was a rain delay. There was a rain delay. Me and Seth were there. It was pouring rain. So I went to the car and uh, Seth sat in a dugout with the kids and I overheard a conversation from the ticket 
taker and, uh, and another person. And uh, the ticket taker was, um, was saying, well, I'm getting ready to go to college. And then this, uh, this lady said, well, whatever you do, don't go to Bloomington, Indiana. <laughs> I was not eavesdropping. It just kind of, it just, that message just came, you know, into my window. Whatever you do, don't go to IU. It will mess up your thinking. That's the place where all those liberals live. You will be changed. You will be corrupted. That is a place of corruption. That is a place of depravity. And I thought to myself, well, that's where Jesus is going then. If Bloomington, Indiana is the place of the deplorables, (laughs) that's where Jesus is going. Because Jesus is bent towards people who are broken and know it. He loves this city. He loves you guys. And here's Jesus going into this place. Let's observe what Jesus does and what it means for us. That's that's just real simple what we're going to do. And I want to invite us to just slow down and see what's there in the text. Just observe what he does. I don't know if any of you have, have watched or been watching the show The Chosen. Um, I, uh, I was against, um, you know, um, any Jesus films for a while because they're pr- produced so poorly, um, some of them, that I thought to myself, I don't want to do another poorly produced, you know, Jesus film that makes us look corny. And then four different people who don't know each other all said to me, you are watching The Chosen, right? And I thought to myself, I guess I need to do this now. And I started watching it and just bawling. I just want to say for me, um, because there's just so much there about really who Jesus is and who the disciples are. And even if it's not perfectly accurate with the text because of time limitations and things like that, um, I highly recommend it. You know, there used to be that bracelet, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I never wore the WWJD bracelet. Uh, No judgment if you did. But um, I like to ask the question, what did Jesus do? Just what what did he do? Because it's good for me and my life to remember what did he do? And what does that mean for me to just ask that question? And so let's see what Jesus did. So it says in verse 32, There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. I think that's an interesting uh, comment, by the way, by the writer, which actually, um, which actually supports the case that this really happened. Because if it didn't really happen, who would say they could hardly talk? You know, they would either say they couldn't talk or they could. They would say they're deaf and mute. But no, this is a personal witness, most likely Peter, uh, James, or John. Uh, This person could hardly talk. He could talk a little bit. But there was something wrong. So it says they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand 
on the man. This is so much fun for me because we are getting to observe a master trainer in search and rescue. This is a master. Obviously, Jesus is the master. He is, in, in uh, firefighter terms, he is the chief chief. He is the master trainer. And here we get to peer over the shoulder of someone who's actually demonstrating what the gospel is. He's allowing us to see what the gospel does, what it looks like to live this out. I want us to observe the increased intimacy. Jesus actually increases intimacy. He, he meets with him, and in that phrase in verse 33, after he took him aside away from the crowd. So Jesus takes him away from the crowd. He increases the intimacy, and then he does a couple things that I think are astounding, and I'm glad Seth is here because he and his little brother, I have so much fun just being a boy again with my little boys. You know, talking about gross things, you know, giving wet willies, teaching them to spit. And here we see Jesus doing some things that culturally are disgusting. And we're going to ask, why? Why is he doing this? So here's what he does. He puts his fingers into the man's ears, takes it to a whole other level, and spits and puts it on the man's tongue. And in their culture, it was disgusting. He's increasing the intimacy with this man. He is touching his ears really as if to illustrate to the man and everybody else, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. This is, this is like sign language in first century. He's, he's communicating to that man on his terms. Here's what I'm doing. I'm opening up your ears and I'm opening up your mouth. This is what I'm doing. Then... He does something else that I think is astounding. He prays in Aramaic. Jesus is bilingual. I mean, certainly he can speak any language he wants. But he demonstrates that he's actually cross-cultural here. He speaks the man's language. He speaks the language of the crowd so they can understand what he's doing. Certainly, Jesus could have prayed in some language that nobody knew. But he chooses instead to speak the language that everybody knew. It was the, the English of their day. He speaks Aramaic, and he says, be opened, as if to say to everybody else, here's what I'm doing. I am opening up his ears and his mouth. And really what he's doing is he's praying for his heart to be opened to the gospel. And then on a whole other level, he's teaching the crowd how to be open to the work of God in their own lives as well. Be open. What a prayer. Be open. Just a couple observations. Deaf and mute people 
in their culture were less than whole. There was a caste system. And deaf and mute people were in the same category. Again, not affirming it, not saying it's a good thing, but they were in the same category as Gentiles, women, and children. And it's interesting, as I was doing my research, this, this doesn't sound right. I mean, I, I would tell the children to not use this word. This, this word's not used in our homes, but, but, the, but the actual commentary used the word and imbeciles. And I thought, what is an imbecile? Like, really, technically, what is an imbecile? And so I, I looked it up in a dictionary, and the, the technical definition of imbecile is stupid. I couldn't believe it. I thought, this is in the dictionary? So deaf and mute people in their culture are in the same category as, and by the way, isn't that interesting? That's a label for all those people. Women, children, Gentiles, and imbeciles. What's an imbecile? Somebody who is considered stupid. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack. And what does Jesus do? He actually enters into it and says, "Uh uh-uh, no. This is going to make the religious people really uncomfortable, but I'm just going to enter right in. I'm going to increase intimacy. I'm going to give him two wet willies. I'm going to take my saliva and mix it with his saliva. I'm going to do it to demonstrate the gospel. Let me ask a question, because real preaching is a conversation. Actually, homiletics, the study of preaching, means a discussion. (laughs) But that doesn't mean it has to be two-way conversation at all times. It just means good preachers anticipate what the discussion is. But I want to ask this question. Did Jesus have to touch him to heal him? No. No. We all know that Jesus could have healed him from a different city. For that matter, Jesus could have been in heaven, and he could have simply decided that man's going to be healed. He could have just said the word. He didn't need to touch him. He did not need to go to his city. He did not need to increase intimacy with him. So why did he do it? Okay, we'll pause that question for a second and just let that bounce around in our minds and hearts like a a pinball, maybe increasing some tension. So why did Jesus do it? If he didn't have to, why did he do it? He chose to, but why? I'll just ask this question. How many remote controls do you have in your home? Oh, video game controller. Okay, let's not go there. We have a ton of remote controls in our home. And of course, now that every phone is also a remote control, it's changed our whole way of being. I feel really old to say this. I can still picture my grandpa walking up to the TV and sitting down on a footstool and changing the channel. Changing the channel 
and then picking a channel and leaving it there for the next three hours. <laughs> Going and sitting down. But we have remote controls, and remote controls have changed everything. Remote controls have really, really made the lazy boy chair famous. Really. The sales of lazy boys went up with the invention of the remote control. Not surprising, is it? We are a remote control culture. And I'm no judgment, no judgment. I use a remote control. But isn't it so nice to be able to sit where we are and push a button and go, boom, I choose. No thank you. It's commercial time. Boom. I don't think so. I don't like what you're, what you're saying. Boom. I just hit. I just changed the culture. Boom. Jesus did not live the gospel with a remote control. He could have. He could have sat in heaven. He could have saved the world somehow without coming if he wanted to. But somehow the gospel... And I, I believe, by the way, that a man had to die, and a man had to die on the cross. But he chose to live among us. He chose to enter into the mess and the brokenness. And here he demonstrates for us what the gospel does. The gospel gets into people's lives. The gospel enters into the mess. The gospel, you know, so many people say to me, Kevin, tell me how to do evangelism. How does that work? And when I was a college student here, I first heard that word evangelism, and it always meant somehow having a microphone and proclaiming the gospel. I remember actually Ben, my roommate in Teeter 5, no joke. Ben was the son of a nuclear war professor um, at West Point. And Ben was also a drug dealer. Ben was a drug dealer out of our dorm room. And what did I decide to do to straighten Ben out? I decided to, to hang a bunch of Bible scriptures on our wall in our dorm room. <laughs> Matt laughs. Guess how effective that was <laughs> at showing God's love? Not at all. It was not effective at all. I thought if I could just make him feel enough shame, if I could just expose him to enough scriptures, he will hear the truth. It doesn't work. That's actually not what Jesus did at all. He instead touched people. He asked them questions. He got involved in their lives. That's what Jesus did. That's the good news. That's what we see here. So, just to conclude, here's what we see here, and here's what I think it means for us. It's tempting to think of outreach or evangelism as I've got to go make new friends and I've got to persuade them to come to church. 
No, I actually believe there are people in our lives already who are not experiencing Jesus. Some of them may go to church. Some of them do not. We, we don't know where they are spiritually. But we will be way more effective if we just do what Jesus did here. Increase the intimacy. Have coffee. Have tea. Pray for them to be open. Probably not even telling them that. It, it means maybe being uncomfortable with them. It means, for me, playing pickleball with firefighters. Playing cornhole. Playing hand and foot. Way before I earn the right to have any kind of spiritual conversation with them. I think this, this is a picture of what Jesus did, and it directly applies to every one of us. The American church, Matt and I have had, have had many conversations about what it means to be the church. The American church has turned it somehow into this fort where so many American Christians go to feel protected, to feel safe, and then to put our guns over the wall and take shots at people who are not inside the fort. Protect ourselves from these deplorable people, these godless people. That's actually not what Jesus did. He was not planting forts. The church is way more like a hospital than a fort. And here's the astounding thing. It's a hospital that actually has a medical school attached to it. And those of us, after we experience the gospel and God puts us back together and he heals us, he astoundingly says, okay, wounded healer, now I want to use you to help others. I want to use you to be a part of the healing of people in your life. It's amazing. I'm amazed that he uses somebody like me. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I believe there are people already in your life that God loves, and there's no pressure. There's no need to answer their questions or back them into a corner. It's really just love. That's it. It's love. He's inviting every one of us to love people around us. So please pray with me. God, we thank you. Thank you, first of all, for rescuing every one of us who is with you. You have entered into our worlds. We didn't deserve it. Thank you. For those of us who are followers of you, who are children of you, thank you, God, for rescuing us. 
please help us to be a part of the healing of others. Please forgive us, God, for thinking that was somebody else, that was a professional Christian. Help us to see the people around us, to see them, to hear them. Thank you, Lord, for this community. Thank you, Lord. What a beautiful expression of your heart and your love. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you.